0: We've had that really uncomfortable and complete silence in an audience. Delicious.
1: Hi everyone, it's Laura Dordemeert, and this is the Ohana Improv Podcast. Welcome back, it's episode number three, this time with Petty Styles from Australia. And I was so happy I got to pick her brain because she has so many wise things to say about improv and also a lot of fun things to say. Uh, in this interview we talk about stuff like what her work week looks like, where she gets her inspiration from, how she warms up, and also how she makes formats, which I thought was incredibly insightful to hear her talk about that. But also we mentioned things like bouncing eggs and big green frogs, so a lot of good stuff in there. At the end, she mentions a couple of promising groups. If you want to know more about them, find them in the show notes, as well as uh, the other resources she mentioned. And they can be found on my website ww.lauradoornwirt.com slash podcast. I'll spell that for you. That's L-A-U-R-A-D-O-O-R-N-E-W-E-E-R-D dot com slash podcast. a lot of fun with this interview with Patty Styles. All right. Well, uh, Patty, welcome to this uh, interview. Thank you. Um, great to be to be having you. Um, I'm wondering if uh, someone asks you, "So, what do you do?" How do you normally answer that? <laughs> uh,
0: I guess it depends on who's asking. If it's someone that's involved in the performing arts, um, then I'm a little bit more uh, precise where I say I'm uh, an actor and I specialize in improvisation. If I'm talking to kind of general public, then I say I'm an actor. And then if they ask, oh, have you been on TV? Which is usually the first question. Um, I answer that and, you know, I go, well, yes, I have. But being an actor is a much larger field of performance, which also includes, and then I go on and, Try to educate a little bit as well.
1: (laughs) And do you feel like you have to explain improvisation more than other kinds of performance art?
0: Yeah, sometimes. I do think um, improvisation is either, it it tends to fall into three categories. The third, like the third and lesser known, is people actually understanding what improvisation is. The other two categories are either, one, they have no idea what it is, or two, they have a limited and very specific idea of what it is. But it's such a limited view that they don't understand the whole world of it. So you'll get people that go, what's that? Um, And you'll get other people that go, oh, like whose line is it anyway? Right, and, you know, so the the understanding of improvisation as an art form, as a form of storytelling, um, that it has been around for ages is not understood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you
1: try to educate them in that part?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess like any conversation, it depends on the conversation and the person. If it's a dinner party conversation with a couple of glasses of wine, it's probably not a time to school people. (laughs) Um, You'll never get invited back to the dinner party. (laughs) Uh, Also, I guess it's, you know, are are people just being polite and asking questions or are they actually curious? And of course, if they're curious, then you have the conversation. Um, But if their eyes start to gloss over or they're looking over your shoulder at who's more important in the room... Um, then I tend to make a joke and move on.
1: Right. Um, I wonder how... Um, I, I'm sure I heard that you're tra- traveling about four to six months a year. That's still the case, mm-hmm. yeah? Yeah. Um, so if you're back home, how does uh, a normal day look like? What does your, or your
0: work week consist of? Oh. Um, ah, there is no normal. Uh, which I kind of like, because um, my husband is also a performer. So what tends to happen is one of the two of us will be more busy, and so our home life will adjust to support the person who's the busiest at the time. So, um, for example, right now he's on tour. Uh, he, he was on tour for a week, came home for two days, back on tour, So those two days that he's home is very much centered around what he needs to be able to change his show props, prepare, rest, and go on to the next tour. Um, Some regular components of the week, obviously family time. Um, The work week will consist of, uh, I'm co-artistic director of Impro Melbourne. So we have our uh, company training on Monday nights. Um, we usually have our performances on Sunday nights. Um, if I'm teaching for the company in their public workshops, then that would be a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday evening class. During the weekdays, um, there will be obviously administrative work for Impro Melbourne as well as creative planning and scheduling, um, helping with media releases, uh, looking. Right now we're actually working on next season, Um uh, and we're figuring that out with our workshop program, our schools program, our corporate program, as well as our performance program. So there's all those aspects of running a theater company. Plus, as a self-employed artist, I'm dealing with international requests for teaching performance and directing. So having those conversations to organize my schedule um, and everything involved in that, so the creative conversation, the business conversation, the financial conversation. Uh, I'm also a board member of the International Theatre Sports Institute, so um, there's commitments to that, um, helping to start planning the next conference, looking at how we improve communication with our members, um, updating our services, and just working on the board in a way that we can improve and meet the goals and targets we have there. Um, I'm doing some writing. I've been trying to write uh, a book. Keith kind of kicked me in the ass many years ago. And I feel like I've written four books, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling nervous, and I've just got to sit down and go through that next stage of sorting things. So there's some writing involved. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the work life, and then trying to get to the gym and play in the garden and mm-hmm. laugh and enjoy a glass of wine and look at the stars and have a fire <laughs> at night. Oh, nice. Y-
1: you were mentioning uh, your husband. In th- what kind of work does he do?
0: He's a clown. Oh, all right. Yes. Yeah. So uh, he, uh, he's more the type of clown uh, of a theater uh, and traditional circus than the Kitty Clown. Um, So he's got um, four uh, solo school shows that he does. One focused on German, one focused on Italian, uh, others focused on um, street performers through history. Um, So he's incredibly skilled and of course I'm biased but I think he's amazing.
1: (laughs) Oh that sounds great. And um, is it Is it a challenge to balance uh, the improv and personal life in in your household or did you find a balance a couple years ago or did it evolve?
0: Mm, We Uh, met at a festival. So we met at the uh, Edmonton International Street Performers Festival. Um, So it wasn't a secret what we did for a living. (laughs) Uh, And both of us were fully aware of the touring aspect of what we do. Um, Any relationship requires both people um, to work together to make the relationship happen. You know, and and that's any relationship. You know, uh, families, friendships, working relationships, um, you know, lovers, partners. It's, that's part of the game. You know, Um, and sometimes it does you know, sometimes our schedules kind of knock against each other. Um, we're both in, you know, pre-show panic mode. Both of us want to be listened to. Both of us, no, my show's more important. <laughs> um, but what what's great is that, I mean, he's an improviser as well, because, of course, in clowning, you improvise. So he really gets what I do, but he he applies it and has learned it and sees it from a different perspective. So sometimes if I'm chewing on something, you know, why why is this happening? Why is this happening? His point of view helps me see it from a different light. And and having that, whether or not that point of view is what I needed, like whether or not that's the answer, what it does is it opens a door to new. Ooh. Um just like with his work, um, and, and he said this, that clowning is often the longest distance between two points. But when we're storytelling and improvisation, we're often trying to get into the unknown. So it's a little bit the quickest distance. So he can remind me of the time where it's okay to sit in a moment. And I can remind him of sometimes it, you're being a little self-indulgent, move on. And so it's a really good uh, combination.
1: Nice. Oh, that is yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and in our house, we have a lot of toys. So the kids in the neighborhood are a bit confused by us. Not a lot of the other houses have a, a six-foot frog puppet. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, I made it for a show. Yeah, he's great. great. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I know that people listening can't see that, but you can see he's got some ventriloquist oh, yeah. dummies there.
1: Look at that. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, so it's <laughs> fun. Uh, that reminds me of the, the things I have in my living room. I have um, those plastic egg, eggs that if you throw them, you can they can bounce. So ah, oh, great! Fun. Yeah, so people will be in my living room picking up the eggs. Wait a minute, they'll start throwing eggs on the floor.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know, and it's funny because somewhere in life, somewhere when we when we move from our teens to our twenties, or even like somewhere in, in the shift in our early twenties, so you everybody moves out and you get your first place. And in your first place, I don't know if it, it if it's normal um, in the Netherlands, but it was really common that people would find old milk crates, like those plastic milk crates. And you'd use them for shelves. All oh, right. yeah. You'd either stock it, stack them like Lego blocks, or you'd find a plank of wood and put a plank of wood. And it was the way of furnishing a student's apartment or you know a young 20s apartment. It was trendy and it was cool. And um, I remember one of the guys from Loose Moose, they had a, a, a kettle hanging from their ceiling. Like, you'd do stuff because it was fun or... It was an idea that came out of a joke, or you weren't conforming to society. And then somewhere around 25, we all start picking up IKEA magazines. Yeah. And, and all our homes start conforming. And we all, we have these things that we pick up on trips and travels, or things like the eggs that you can throw on the ground that are just fun, and they start getting hid into the back room because adults don't have fake eggs you can throw. <laughs> Why the hell not? Yeah. You know, we spend up until the time where eighteen, nineteen, wanting to be independent and have independent resources so we can buy the toys we want. And then we don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, your your eight year old self would be like, "Come on, now you can have yes! the six feet frog in your house. Why don't you? Yeah. Why not? Yeah,
0: he's friendly. He doesn't eat a lot. Helpful <laughs> with flies. He's great. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> you know, I, I think adults should have more toys. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you uh, ever work with uh, children in improv?
0: Yes. Yeah, um, I've worked with, oh, I mean, I've worked with younger children, like I've worked with three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds, um, but really, they they teach me, they're mm-hmm. better improvisers.
1: Yep, yep. I was talking to uh, Matt Sherman from uh, Rapidified Theater the other day, and yes. uh, we were talking about that, that indeed, we both feel that children are teaching you Oh. They remind you again how to play. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Went to the playground with my goddaughter, Ivy, and um, she's on, on the, the seesaw and she's happy. And I found myself going, Oh, what's next? What's it's like, wow. Wow, Patty, don't stress the kid out. She's not even two yet. <laughs> she, wants, she wants to be on this one toy all day. Fine. Yeah. Or if she just wants to run from thing to thing, why does it have to be, now that you're here, use it? Why can't you just run and look at it and run on to the next thing? And you start feeling all these adult patterns. Yeah. You know, um, I want to make this fun for you. Why? She's just having the experience. Stop worrying about her being entertained. She is. Yeah. You know, all of these things that... Ah, oh, it's amazing! It's amazing all the lessons we learn in life that are really unhelpful.
1: Yeah, and you don't know you have them until you see a two-year-old just be, literally be in the moment more than you can. You think you can ever be yourself? Yeah.
0: Yes. I think so. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. What's you there? can get out
1: of your own. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I started the question again. Um... Is there a was there in your life a a turning point, that, or that can maybe be career related? Like, at one point you just you just
0: knew, or you saw it, or saw what we were talking about, or saw that I wanted to improvise, or saw something.
1: Ah, uh, let's let's say improv related. So, when was the moment that you knew this was this
0: was your thing? Um, I. I always knew that I wanted to be in theater. That was, you know, such a cliche thing to say, but it was really true. And I think when I look at, you know, kind of photos of the young me, the things that made me the happiest were creative play and expression. Uh, Dancing, storytelling, laughing. Um, I've got a picture where I'm maybe four, and my mom, dad, and my aunts and uncles are all wearing different Halloween masks that I've clearly put on them for some reason. It's one of my favorite pictures, because it's a group of adults playing with me. (laughs) Um, I remember clearly playing games with kids in the neighborhood and really, really getting into, okay, you know, we're building a tent and what this means and... And everybody else was kind of, you know, flirting and running on to the next thing. But I was like really in this world of pretend. Or even things like playing with my marbles and crayons and putting them into teams and having stories. You know, the red and the blue and the yellow. Don't like the green and the orange and you know, whatever. So there was something about storytelling that related to me very early on. And my father was an excellent storyteller um great joke teller um yeah he he could just light up a room or change a conversation at the table he was just magic oh. and i grew up uh in newfoundland which is a culture of singers and storytellers and verbal stories and a lot of tradition um so i think all of that was brewing And then in high school, I did a work experience program that placed me at the Loose Moose Theater where Keith Johnstone was the artistic director. And when I started seeing what they were performing on stage, the energy in the room, how the audience responded to it, how they rehearsed, how they worked. It was a group of people being normal people. They weren't being... Oh don't i don't want, I don't want to. there's there's a group of people who go into theater because they like pretending theater Ooh. and that's fine. they like the lifestyle they like the clothing they like the the world of theater, but they're not storytellers and that's fine i'm I'm not criticizing that. But that wasn't the world for me. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't want to wear black and sit in coffee shops until 2 in the morning debating Nietzsche. I, I, wanted, I wanted to create something that could go on stage and have that experience with the audience. And I'd see these guys and gals that show up at Loose Moose. Some of them were working on road crews or the university or they were uh, physiotherapists, and then they'd come in and turn into storytellers creating magic in this space where the audience would be up on their feet and yelling and laughing and and be it kids' theater or scripted theater or us at a parade or the late night shows we created or the comedy it was just. This expression, we got taught how to walk on stilts and to juggle and to clown and to, to make your own props and go down into the costume room and create something and how do we make that image and it was electric. Oh. So that was the turning point for me. I went, this, this is what I want. Wow. Wow. Long answer.
1: Yeah. No, it sounds like uh, <laughs> it, it reminds me of uh, uh, I started in a theater school where also I could just basically I could grab anything and they, the director said, whatever, uh, you, you go ahead. Uh, at one point, I asked him if I could paint the walls of the theater for a particular piece. And then he said, sure, as long as you paint it back. <laughs> Great. And I love that. Yes. Because that, that sort of um, gives so much creativity if you have a place yeah. where you can
0: play. Yes, and that's, that's what the arts is ab- about. It's about creativity, inspiration, and expression of that. It's about, you know, if, if someone paints or creates a poem or a song, it's an expression. So for me, storytelling is an expression. And some people express maybe not with beginning, middle, end, conflict, resolution, but there's a story in it. There's a story in a painting. Either the artist's story of creating it, or their story in it, or your story in seeing it. But there's an expression or a response. And and it may not be something you like, and that's okay, as long as you respond. Yeah. As long as it promotes something, then it's kind of served its purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved that about, about Keith's teaching. I remember I was in one of his plays, um, which was The Secret Life of Dr. Watson. And um, the play is about Sherlock Holmes and uh, where Moriarty is actually kind of framing Dr. Watson as Jack the Ripper, and I was coming on stage um, playing my part, which I was um, a vision of one of the prostitutes who had been killed that um, Watson was having this nightmare, this vision, uh, kind of a drug-induced. And so I'm kind of crawling down the scaffolding covered in blood, and I, I hand him a vagina, which, Doc, which Jack the Ripper used to send the police body parts, right? So it's all in keeping with the time, the research, the period, the story. But these people got up and walked out. And I was terrified. I thought, oh, no, I'm going to be kicked out of the play. Oh, no, I've I've wrecked it. Keith's going to be so mad. So the play ends. We go into the theater for notes. And Keith was almost dancing, He was so excited (laughs) that we actually got a response. Yeah. He said, it's really hard to get people in Canada to care that much that they walk out.
1: Wow.
0: And I went, well, but doesn't that offend you that they, he went, why? Why does someone's opinion offend me? Yes, I will think about it. I will be curious about what moved them to leave because that's how you learn more. But it doesn't offend me. And the fact that they responded is an opportunity for me to learn. Mm-hmm. What offends me is an audience that sits silently and politely applauds at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And I was like, yeah, and I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> Let's get some more people. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's dangerous yeah did
1: you ever um, evoke in an audience a response by doing improv in that strong way did you ever make someone walk away or scream something
0: um, yeah I mean we there's, there's been um, in playing theater sports in Calgary there was a lot of times where the audience would be really engaged um, because we weren't just doing a comedy show. Um, the the old theater sports really focused on the storytelling and Keith would, you know, be quite uh, unhappy at intermission if the first half of the show was just laughs. He would say, um, you know, why why are you creating an evening of fluff? No one's gonna remember anything tomorrow. Where's the politics, history, religion? Doesn't anybody here have anything you want to say or express? What pissed you off today? Where's the theater in theater sports? Mm-hmm. And he was right. Um, and we use the games for variety between the storytelling. So sometimes you would get into an aspect of storytelling where the audience would get uncomfortable and they would, would get nervous. You, you would express an opinion Um, from a character's point of view or tackle a story and it would move someone out of a comfort zone sometimes they would yell great, we can have a debate we can bring that into the theater Um, sometimes someone would leave and you go, okay that's, that's your response and art has always been about offering an offering for response not an offering for applause not an offering to make your ego feel good. You know, uh, we have a duty to to challenge. Um, there's another show that I do um, with Rama Nicholas and Derek Flores, called Doctor Fish, no, Mister Fish, in his spooky library of the Impro Macabre. It's very long title. <laughs> um, and our our tagline is. Laughter is easy. Fear is riskier. Oh. And the show is a combination of the Brothers Grimm, Lovecraft, and Edgar Allan Poe. Wow. And it gets dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tell the stories. And we break it with laughter. But we do get dark. And, and we've had people, we've heard, you know, a collective gasp. You know, as Derek disembowels me or something like that. (laughs) Um, We've had that really uncomfortable and complete silence in an audience. Delicious.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I love that. Oh, God, yes. I think I I recently saw um, a mask scene uh, about human trafficking. And I was so disgusted, and afterwards I said, "Oh, thank you," because it's been a long time since I was disgusted in theater again. Yeah.
0: Yes. And it's sad that the majority of improvisation um, comes without a challenger voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying that all improvisation should be challenging. No, of course not. We need variety. I'm. I'm just sad that the majority is without any challenger voice and within that the majority of people creating improvisation don't think about potentially having a challenger voice so it's taught and shared in such a a mono form that it becomes a mono form Mm. and that's a sadness um, there's also a long form I have, which is a Western where a lot of people do Westerns and it's all shtick. And what I want in this Western is I, cause for me, Westerns are about survival mm-hmm. and I want to see that. Yeah. And um, there's been some really fantastic moments of uh, like um, a, a sheriff, Uh, who kills someone and uh, he's the father of these two young girls and um, later when the young girls are just at home by themselves, the sheriff and his sidekick walk onto the stage and the whole audience just went, (gasps) no, because they know these girls, their father's gone, their mother's gone into town, like the father's dead, the mother's gone into town to find out where he is, they're on their own. And these two evil men walk on stage. Ooh. Yeah. And they just circled them going, where's your ma? Ma's not here? It's a shame. You tell her we came calling and we're going to come back. Yeah. The tension in that is wonderful. But it's about, for me, what the genre is about, which is survival. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not about having spurs and saloon doors, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is fine, fine for comedy, but it's not, you know, it's not the yeah. the story of it. So you um, develop formats.
1: Um, hmm. You have a couple. How, how do you go about that? So do you have an idea and can you try that with your group first or do you develop them uh, uh, with groups that ask you to develop with them? How do you do that?
0: Um when when like if the group says we want to develop a format, great, I'm up for that. You know, what's what's let's have the conversation and see what that will bring. Um usually the formats that um I've developed start from me going, I'm annoyed at improvisation. <laughs> um and I kind of stomp around a bit and bore Chris with, why did, why does this always happen? Why, why, why? And then I sit down and I go, okay, what are the things that are annoying me? Okay. These things, those things come from what? Um, cause usually patterns come from, you know, a place. Um, and what is that place? Um, is it current trends? Is it, um, lack of courage, is it uh, a fear obstacle, is it uh, a narrative, um, you know, uh, technique, and then I go, okay, well, what if it's this, and then I go, okay, so how can I challenge that, so for example, the Western, when I was, re- I was what I was really annoyed by was that improvisers won't shut up, they won't stand still. They don't raise the stakes, and when they die, they won't stay dead.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, to me, that's a Western. Yeah. Because you need stakes. Silence is really important. The stakes are high, and if you die, you need to stay dead. So I went, wow, that genre actually fits these things. So now how do I get the improvisers to do that? So within the format, I've actually got all these hidden improv games. So, um, for example, um, I will, and I've done this where the audience knows and where the audience doesn't. So I'm still playing around with, you know, what might be the most useful, but I'll take poker chips and I'll put a dot on them. And at the beginning, the cast picks a poker chip. And if you get a dot, it means you're allowed to kill. Ah, nobody knows how many chips have a dot. So they have no idea how many killers are amongst them. Now, it might be the school teacher who's allowed to kill. <laughs> Which means if you've got your sheriff and, you know, the baddie facing off, they've got to play a scene where they're upping the stakes, but they don't know if the other person can kill them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's real life. Yeah. And when someone suddenly enters the saloon, everybody turns and look, which they should do. But in Impro Land, people just pull out guns and kill each other, or they never do. Yeah. And that's not useful in a Western. So I create those little games to try to get the imp- try to give the improvisers permission to break a pattern or develop a skill that I am seeing as a problem in the work. Mm-hmm. So that's usually where I start a format from. Nice, yeah, I like that. And I've seen
1: the uh, the format. Um, oh no, I'm blanking out on the name uh, that I saw in Milan with the pictures. Ah, uh, Momentus de la Vida. Right, different language. That's right. Um, yeah. How th- how did that?
0: How was that created? Um. I was thinking about um, kind of texture and worlds and how improvisers kind of avoid creating depth in a world. You know, um, a lot of improvisers kind of stand and talk and, and visually for an audience that must be boring. You know, it doesn't give a lot of variety. Also, I was thinking about how improvisers keep playing the same scenes over and over again. And how can you inspire them out of that? Um, So, uh, you know, I was playing around with those concepts. What could that be? Um, And thinking about using rear projection. Um, Jenny Lovell, another improviser here, had done a workshop using photos, um, oh gosh, about eight years ago. And so that kind of lingered a little bit in the back of my mind. And it was, it's actually kind of funny because uh, we invited Felipe to come, uh, Felipe Ortez, And I said, do you want to do a show? And he went, yes. And I said, do you have something? And he said, yes. And I went, great. And then he was on tour and I kept saying, what, what, what's the show? What's the show? And I couldn't get a hold of him, and we needed something for publicity, so I made up the name Momentus de la Vida. Because I thought, Moments of Life, it's in Spanish. Yeah. It'll cover a lot. Yes, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) you know, It can be anything, and we'll see when he gets here. And uh, then about a week and a half before he arrived, he said, ah, um, I don't really have an idea. And I went... Well, there's this thing, and we tried it, and that's how it was born.
1: Oh, right. So w- was Milan the first time when you played it then?
0: No, uh, we played it in Melbourne about four years ago. Oh, uh, And it's, since then, it's been played in Rome a couple of times, uh, as well as Milan, Yeah. So, which is nice. And it, one thing I really like about it is it lends itself to any language.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, and what I, I found really inspiring is that, I mean, the idea of pictures and scenes, I've seen that before. But what I really liked is that uh, to have different um, tones of both comedic and more serious. And it was so fascinating to see a comedic scene, a serious scene, a silent scene so quickly after each other.
0: And that to me is uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, I'm really glad that you saw that because that's an aim of the format. You know, it should have that variety of texture and tone, which is something that Keith Johnstone really um, worked with us on. So theater sports is supposed to have that. Mm. Yeah, supposed
1: right? to have that, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, uh, because you're creating an evening of variety theater. And Keith would say if it's joke after joke after joke, it's soup followed by soup followed by soup. Mm-hmm. Where's your meat? Where's your dessert? Where's your chunky broccoli? Um, so that's a little bit ingrained in how I was trained. Um, which is why it's, it's sometimes hard for me to sit through an improv show that's all one note. Yeah? Um, not that that show isn't good or that the audience isn't loving it. For me personally, it's hard for me because I'm looking for w- what are the other tones and textures and colors. You know, even Shakespeare writes that way. You know, all the great playwrights write that way. Um, if you look at the great comedy duos, they always had stillness, silence, or tragedy because it actually helps set up the laughter later. Right. So it's it's a technique that's useful in our craft. Yeah. Whatever your end objective is, variety of emotion and timing and where you're on the stage, it, it's all really important. Hmm. So with Momentus De La Vida, when I'm looking through the photos, um, I, I'm looking for different categories of images. For me, it's not location, location, location. <laughs> Yeah, uh, great. If you're selling a house, um, because that's just going to be a generic improv show. I wanna, I wanna stimulate the imagination. I wanna poke the heart. I wanna confuse. I wanna inspire. I wanna, I wanna try to put something in front of them that you might see the improvisers step into a world they've never done before. Because that's why we improvise. Mm -hmm. And actually, the the show that you saw in Milan, um, do you remember the image of the owl? Oh, God,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, very vividly, yeah.
0: That was the only image that I used from the show that we did in Rome. And I did that on purpose because there was uh, two of the fellows in the cast that had also done the show in Rome. And the scene in Rome with the owl was incredibly tense and scary. Oh. And it started, the owl image came up, and someone ran on stage being an owl getting in its perch. And then someone else, and then someone else. And then I walked forward in telling the story kind of a poetic tale of if you walk through the woods at night and eventually someone came in and the owls attacked him and mm. and basically fed off of him And it was really scary so i wondered if that same picture would bring out the same texture but the scene right before was the scene about the bat and the bird you know, and, and the the bat and the pigeon and the pigeon wanting to make out with the, the bat yeah. and then running around in circles. So when this bird photo came up, the owl, right after, it was just a great, you know, tag gag. Yes, it was because it was
1: just the joke and then it was gone again. It's the shortest scene I've seen in a long time. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Uh, and I love that one photo you know, in its spontaneous placement and what happened had two very different lives. Yeah. yeah. So great. yeah. That's nice.
1: Yeah. And
0: that's great. I think sometimes when people are putting together a format, they try to think of what's going to be successful. Or they go to a festival and they see a show that's successful and they go, Let's copy that. Yeah. Or let's do our version of that. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Um, but that to me is like pop music, that, that to me is like creating a boy band, there's nothing wrong with it, but you're doing it for the end result, mm-hmm. where I prefer to start with a question.
1: Yeah. You, you were talking about um, inspiration, do you get inspiration from, um, what do you get inspiration from that's not
0: improv related? Um, The beauty of life. Um, I think one of the the hardest things about getting inspiration when you're not in improv mode is to allow yourself to sit still to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, I get inspiration from watching my goddaughter. Because when she colors, she colors with Abandon! It doesn't matter if it's on the page or the table she's got the crayon and she's coloring <laughs> yes <laughs> yes um inspiration in watching animals, how they just see everything and are aware um inspiration from the environment you know the the shapes of leaves the The magnificent, the the fact that the moon is out there and it doesn't like collide with us. (laughs) You you know, like, I think you get inspiration through beauty, through curiosity, through energy. Um, I get inspiration through music, being able to jump up and down. Um, Yeah, a lot of different places. But I know that when I'm not feeling fueled or inspired, it's usually because I'm running around in the mundaneness of life and I'm not stopping to look. Yeah, like even how the sun is shining in this lovely straight line above your head. There,
1: there it is. Yeah, right yeah, there.
0: Yeah. Right? Oh, funny. it's beautiful because it's shaded it's not a solid thing it's shaded but yeah. as we're talking until you asked that question and I went oh yeah hang on look at the picture I didn't really see that no
1: oh, I didn't see I was, I'm looking at your picture so I'm not looking at the, at the yeah the beam
0: above my head yeah yes oh. and it in a, in a way it looks like a hat it does. Like this a little bit. yeah 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 or then it or a halo
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to tell you something. Yes, you're Uh, an angel. Oh wait, now I'm sitting differently. There is there is actually the halo there. Yes.
0: (laughs) Um, Fantastic.
1: All right. So um, let's see. I got a couple more short questions uh, to uh, end this little interview with. Um, Okay. I'm wondering. what does your warm-up look like? So how do you warm up for
0: a show? Um, for me personally? Um, quite often I'll have a beer. Which I know a lot of people go, what? Um, <laughs> um, you know, that's that's not a necessity. It's just sometimes, you know... Um, if I if I wasn't honest with that, there'd be a lot of people going, "Yes, yeah, Styles, come on, we know what you do. <laughs> you have a beer." Um, usually, I'll quietly stretch. I'll find a little space backstage, and I'll just do some stretching, um, some breathing. Um, I do like doing a vocal warm up if if there is one, but more of uh, doing scales and breathing, not playing musical singing games, just kind of warming up the voice. Um, I like to warm up by actually making eye contact and connecting with people and just saying hello. Um, And that's it. I'm I'm not a warm-up game person. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, partly that's history and tradition and training. Uh, It's not something we did at Loose Moose. Uh, We used to have a... A workshop with Keith that would last an hour working on some stuff then we'd have the company meeting we'd set up the stage um, and then kind of hang around and chat and catch up and how's your week and yeah and then when you walk on stage you're actually available I think sometimes the warm-up games either exhaust people because the games are too hyper um, or put people in a really competitive space. They don't mean to, but a lot of people feel they have to keep up with the most experienced person in the warm-up. Uh, or they start judging themselves if they don't do good in the warm-up, especially if there's a lot of fast delivery games. And if you're watching the body language, you actually see it. But because warm-up games are a tradition and a ritual, people don't stop to ask Why? or if it's helpful or if the games you're doing are useful. So people go on stage and they're either wound up, terrified or exhausted. Mm. Which I don't know if that's the place you want your improvisers when you walk out on stage. Yeah. Now, there are a lot of warm-up games that of course can, you know, produce a different energy. So I'm not saying everybody uh, you know, and if I'm invited to be in a show, and people go, this is how we warm up, great, fine. Your sandbox, your rules, absolutely. Um, But if you're asking me personally what I do, yeah, have a stretch, you know. And remind myself, you know, if I'm feeling really nervous, I'll remind myself my job is to listen, make my partner look good, be available, tell the story. That's my job.
1: And that's just something you say to yourself when you're nervous. Yep.
0: It's not about being great. It's not about um, delivering perfection. It's not about this moment showing everybody what I got. Um, That's not why I'm in this industry. I'm in this industry for the possibility and the potential of what we create. And if that means that you're Hamlet on that evening and I'm the spear carrier, but the audience is having this amazing experience and magic is happening on stage, I'm happy to carry that spear. Because that's my role in the story this night. Great. Yeah. Hmm.
1: I'm good. Yeah. I think I very much agree. I especially the the connecting with people, feeling like mm. oh yeah, I see I see you, but I also feel like oh yeah, you're seeing me. Good. Let's do this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We used to have this uh, playful game, uh, a few of us at Impro Melbourne, um, which Rama and Jason might have done when they were at the festival a couple of years ago, where um, we kind of playfully kind of uh, try to slap each other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was just something that developed because – you know, if you're backstage and you see someone drifting off, either because they're nervous or they're tired or they're not present, a little flick towards their inner thigh really gets them to go, what? "huh, and uh, they pay attention very quickly. So it's just a playful way of going, hey, look at me. Yeah. Be here. Come on, let's be playful. Let's go on stage. That game has developed and i've gone <laughs> to a different festival and they went yeah we do this and they're like slapping each other and i'm like what What? Yes, no no that's not what we meant <laughs> wow each other and and you don't do it just to do it it was done to go hey i'm here come back come be with us <laughs> Oh. in a little risky fun way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've I've done that once backstage. We so were talking about whether or not we would slap for real on the stage. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, we're gonna slap for oh, real. Alright, like, like how hard? Should I try it? Yeah, sure. Like this hard? No, you can do a little harder. So we sort of like started slapping each other <laughs> backstage. <laughs> There's this this rush of adrenaline when you just got slapped or if you just slapped someone. Um, yeah, And I'm sure it isn't healthy to do it every time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely to your skin. <laughs> no, yeah. When you connect with people backstage or before you go on, is it um, in a just taking a moment to look at each other? Is it conversation? Is it in a game or exercise?
1: Basically anything. I've I just found mm. that um, people who need their moment alone, uh, so I sometimes was with... Uh, one or two players who were more introverts and they would basically just go a little bit separate from the others and just be with themselves. And I could feel like, because I'm very much an extrovert, I need the connection. So I was like, yes. shit, this is not my kind of warm-up. I, I need to... I I really want to connect with the people before we go on stage. And if that is with a beer or with a talk or... Or looking at each other. There's some games I like, but not the the a lot of jumping or or screaming, <laughs> or mm. just anything that makes me, yeah, feel like I'm seeing the others, and I feel like they've seen me. That's yes,
0: yeah, yeah. That you're in the same universe. You're in. You're ready to go.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that's nice. And the, and the physical warm up to remind your body how wide it can stretch, or yeah
0: yeah, yeah, I, like yeah I find that if i stretch it helps with breathing but it does remind you it's like oh look at all these different appendages i have yes.
1: and they can move <laughs> yeah and it it helps you oh it helps me f- from not talking too much if i' if my if my body is there too because otherwise it can become this floating head that just
0: yes mouths and a lot of a lot of um, warm-up games that I've seen tend to be all about being clever. Mm-hmm, yeah. And so you see people who have gone from, hey, hi, how you doing, to suddenly up in their brain really thinking hard about the clever thing to say. And I think to myself, oh, could we just go back 15 minutes? Because that's the person I'd rather play with. Hmm. If yeah. just in the style of what I like to play. And there's so many different forms. So if people are doing it because they want people in that intellectual space because of the work that they're doing, fine. Mm-hmm. You know, just like a trombone player is going to warm up differently than a bass player.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, all right, second to last question. I wanted to know, have you seen, are there any promising groups or... Maybe individual improvisers that you've recently seen and
0: want to Mm. name. Wow. I think every group is a promising group. Mm. It's the nature of our work. Every group is a promising group. Um, Whether or not people reach their promise, well, then that comes to, you know, uh, individual creative, you know, point of view. So what I'm going to see is promise and possibility may not be their objective. Yeah. Right? But every group um, Mm. has the potential. Um, Groups that I find interesting um, or individuals, uh, gosh, that's such a difficult question because when you get into individuals, there are so many that I'm always afraid I'm going to miss someone. Right. you know, and in an industry where um, status is important, I always worry about that. It's like, no, I don't want to offend. Uh, um yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, groups that seem to be trying to challenge things. Um, I mean, Felipe and Danielle... Um, are always trying to challenge things. And their company in uh, Bogota, uh, Picnic Improvisation, also are in that same world, because, of course, they're trying to, to explore and to challenge. Um, Impro Melbourne here, um, you know, we're, we're looking at different ways to create and what that means in a storytelling um, way. There's a festival here called Improvention, where Nick, who runs it, um, really tries to say yes to every idea and see what happens. Um, And he's got just such an open heart to the possibilities. And some things go way off the rails, and some things hit a height that's absolutely magnificent. But when you say yes, you're going to get the extremes, and that's what challenge should be about. So, I really like that. Um, hmm. Let me see. Well, the, the group I used to perform with in Canada, Dynasty, uh, the live improvised soap opera, um, has a really unique show because it can blend the most heartfelt, wonderful, beautiful storytelling with the most ridiculous, mad-capped insanity. Um, Because the cast are improvisers, but they're also actors. So there's um, a skill and a technique brought to it as well. Um, And then there's the, well, Ostentatious, um, a group that does um, Jane Austen out of the UK um, that really strive to tell the stories truthfully and to bring in more heart and stillness. Um, There's a group called the Bozos, but it's B-E-A-U-Z-E-A-U-X, I think, Um, where... um, Deborah Francis White uh, is directing them, and they're kind of trying to create the idea of an indie film through uh, character development and then these colliding stories. And I'm really interested in that, and it's still they're still exploring it and trying to find it. But I like that that she's trying to keep them from being able to plot drive and keep them honest. And they're just really trying to jump into the world of what they're doing. I like that. Um, gosh, there's so many. Yeah. There's so many groups. Parallel um, Parallela Mammograph, if I said that right. Uh, I like that they're always coming out with new ideas and explorations. Um, you know, a few years ago, I got an email going, can you send us a, a short video clip? We're doing a sci-fi show, and we want to send these messages to you know the characters that will be in space, like messages from Earth. Yeah. <laughs> but they're not going to know what they are. I just went, great. You're trying to introduce something into the storytelling to change and, and move the person. Um, so I like that they're doing that. Um, what else? There's... I mean there's ah so many groups. Um the group called Smoking Sofa, um all the groups in Italy, Teatro Mola, um Ibu Giudini, they're all kind of exploring ideas and connections and storytelling and characters and an authentic connection between the improvisers and the audience and and what that can be. Um no, oh, there's going to be so many groups that I don't <laughs> you know, These are
1: already so many that I have to check out. Yeah. They, yeah. they sound really nice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And they are really l- nice people as well and interesting people. Um, and, of course, you know, I'm going to be naming groups that work on a style of improvisation that relates to me. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of groups out there creating amazing work in a lot of different forms um but like music you know you might like heavy metal you might hate it but it's great that it's there for variety in the community yeah you know, be nice it be nice if we had more more styles mm. in in our in our repertoire of improvisation
1: mm. yeah yeah um Last question. What's, your, uh, what's the, the, the best advice you ever received? <laughs> in
0: improvisation? Could be.
1: Or in life. Life?
0: Wow. The best. I'm so bad at questions like best. You saw my head spin when you asked me about the groups <laughs> and people. All right. So what's the first advice
1: that comes to mind that sort of resonated with you?
0: <laughs> um, when I was at Loose Moose Theater uh, I was there maybe about a year and Keith said to me one day uh, I want to talk to you I thought uh oh what I do and so we sat down and he said so you've, you've been here a while now I said, yes. And, and actually telling you the story has reminded me another thing I want to say. Okay. Um, he said, so you've been here a while? And I said, yes. And he said, you know that working in the performing arts is very difficult. He said, most artists live below the poverty line. Because of that and the stresses of the industry, there's a lot of substance abuse and a lot of performers... Uh, end up being very lonely because it's difficult to form and keep lasting relationships do you know this and I went wow um, gosh I I do now he said do you still want to do this and I sat there for a minute and I thought about it and I just went yeah this is this is just what, what makes my heart happy. And he went, ah, all right, then we better make you good. <laughs> and at the, moment, at the moment, I thought, what, what was that about? Was Keith doing a social experiment on me or something? Because he would get fascinated by people and ask questions. But a year later, I was sitting in my apartment. My car had broke down. I didn't have enough money to pay for the repairs on the car and my rent. There wasn't a lot of work coming in. And I was just like, rah, rah, and I was, you know, grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. And then this conversation came back to me and I went, ah, hang on. Someone warned me about this. And I still said, yes, there's no point complaining about it. Cause you made the choice. There's a lot of actors that are never told that. They're told, you will be a star if you work hard enough, if you're good enough, if you're beautiful enough. And I've seen so many of them crash and go through huge difficulties in their life and self-image and just doubting themselves. So I'm really thankful that Keith kind of laid it out that it's not easy and why. So that was great advice. Yeah. Um, He also said to me, my first time doing lights, I was up in the booth and I was running lights on the board. I was practicing because I didn't want to make a mistake. First time doing lights. I had to be perfect. A lot of responsibility. Keith comes up into the booth. I'm thinking, what, what, why, why is he here? He never comes up into the booth. What, why is he here? He's just standing there and he's looking around. And then he goes, "Is it your first night running lights?" And I go, "Yeah, yeah." He goes, oh. well, you need to make three mistakes or you failed." <laughs> and he leaves the booth. I'm like. Oh shit, I gotta make mistakes. Okay, I've gotta make at least three mistakes. All night I'm crashing down lights, I'm I'm trying things because I've gotta make mistakes. After the show in notes, he went, You made one. Next time you'll try better. <laughs> and I went, Ah, oh, I gotta make more mistakes. Shit, I failed. Years later I went, Oh, uh, hang on a second. <laughs> uh, see what you did there, little Johnstone boy. <laughs> he saw that I wanted to be perfect, so he made making a mistake part of being perfect, right. so that I'd take chances and take risks.
1: That's also great advice, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and it's at it's advice that you use in everything with improvisation yeah, yeah. um yeah, so those those are. Two pieces of improv advice that I hold very dear.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's great. And that's a, a wonderful um, thing to close off with, I think. Um, I could I could talk to you for another hour, but
0: uh, yeah, maybe I'm, some other I, time. I, I kind of forgot that you're recording it. I'm just like, oh, I'm getting to chat with you. This is great. Yes, I know, I know.
1: <laughs> and that's the other thing that I also have to... Like uh, officially say thank you so I can, you know, cut the, uh, the audio file in a way that it's good for people. They feel like it's an end and they, they don't hear us talk about the whatever plans you're having late tonight in my dentist appointment. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, yeah. So uh, are there places you would like people to um, find you? Where are you on um, social media or Internet?
0: Uh, I have a website, so pattystyles.com, and you can email me from there. I also try to keep the tour schedule up to date. Um, I used to just put on when something was absolutely confirmed, and then people were getting mad at me because they didn't know in enough time. So now I put up when things have moved past, hey, would you like to come into let's figure out how to do it? So that way it has a little bit more um, awareness for people. Um, Yeah, but I I think that's probably the best place.
1: Good. When are you back in Europe again, you think?
0: I will be back in April. So next year uh, I'll be in Europe April, May, June. And then I'll be back again uh, September, maybe September, October.
1: Good. All right. People can find you there, the Europeans at least. Yes. Good. Um, Thank you very much for this. This was great. I hope to talk to you uh, some other time again.
0: Yes, hopefully. Yes. Hopefully soon. I feel like uh, now I want to sit with, you know, a couple of beers or a bottle of wine and just continue this conversation. Yes, yes. Yes.
1: We should. Yes. Uh, I now. I also want beer and wine. It's only eleven in the morning. <laughs> hey, it's cocktail hour somewhere. It is. It is. All right.
0: Thank you so much, Patty. Um, talk Thank to you, you later. All right. Yes. Good luck at the dentist and Thank enjoy you. your sunny day. I will. All right. Great. Bye. Thanks. Bye.